Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, we spoke last as Congress was headed into a key month. July, of course, is that last month before Congress leaves for its extended August recess and that month when big bills so often get done. Well, we are now reaching the end of July, and so much of the tax agenda now rides on the events of the coming days and weeks. And by coming weeks, I really mean the next two. So what could happen? Can Senate Democrats still pull a tax rabbit out of their hat? Might we get other important tax legislation? That is the big question here in Washington, and the one we are going to tackle today. To get at this, we are joined by our old friends, Jen Acuna and Tom Stout. All right, Jen, I'm going to start with you. Let's just start with this question of what remains of Build Back Better, that reconciliation bill that once housed the Biden tax plan that we've been discussing for what seems like forever. Where do things stand on Senate action on the reconciliation bill currently? You know, there has been a lot happening on reconciliation and not a whole lot happening on reconciliation over the last few weeks. So just a few weeks ago, we started hearing rumblings that Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer were undergoing discussions to kind of hammer out a deal on a potential reconciliation package. And in particular, they were discussing the tax package, which had been a while since it had been a topic that was broached. However, Fast forward to July 13th, when the new CPI numbers came in for July, putting inflation at 9.1%, Manchin quickly jumped in and pulled the plug on the tax increases, at least. I mean, that's how it's been interpreted. He said, hey, wait a second. I know that we've been negotiating this. These inflation numbers, they really concern me. Not only do they concern him, uh, according to, you know, his statements, with respect to the spending. But he added a new element of concern, which is also with respect to the tax increases that were being negotiated. So he pretty much put a pause on that piece of it. However, what he did mention was, you know, there is an avenue for a smaller bill if there is a desire to move something quickly, and that would have to be the healthcare portion of the bill. And that's the prescription drug pricing, that provision that allows um, CMS to negotiate prescription drugs, and the ACA piece. And he said, maybe if we combine that, maybe there could be a deal. So that's where we are right now. We know that it's a reconciliation bill, so they have to jump through some procedural hurdles in order to get something on the Senate floor. Just last week, there was what's lovingly referred to as the birdbath of that health care piece. And it's my understanding that they got word from the parliamentarian today. She rendered her a ruling with respect to the issues in that piece. And there are being adjustments that are being made to the draft bill in order to conform to the parliamentarian's advice with respect to that provision. So right now, it's been through the birdbath. Changes are being made to the bill. But really, not a whole lot of movement. Just a month ago, I would have said by now there would have been maybe even Senate floor action on reconciliation. Boy, Jen, there's so much to unpack in there. In fact, a whole episode's worth just in there. But we've got other things we want to talk about. But let's just try on a few things. First of all, you mentioned today they got guidance from the parliamentarian on some of the health care provisions. Just for those listening at home, today is Monday, July 25th. So here we are with the House and the Senate in this week. 
the Senate in next week and then gone for the August recess. So this is what we're up against is that they're still working with the parliamentarian just on the healthcare language. They haven't even begun this process on some of the tax language or they haven't got advanced it as far on the tax information. So let me come back to what you said about the status of the reconciliation bill, that the healthcare components, prescription drug pricing, the ACA premium subsidies still in play potentially but they're running out of time and they've got this work to work through with the parliamentarian. But on tax, it seems like Manchin has ruled out some of the tax provisions in the spending with concern about inflation. And then on the flip side said he also has concern with some of the tax increases. So a couple of questions there. Wasn't it always Senator Sinema that we thought was the one that took issue with some of the tax increases to build back better, not per se Senator Manchin. That's right. It was Senator Cinema, dating back to last fall, that raised concerns about increasing the corporate rate, individual rates. I mean, she had really kind of narrowed in on the tax increase portion. Manchin historically, at least over the last few months, was really pointing out the spending piece. Now, you have two senators that are currently concerned about tax increases, and those are just the ones that have been vocal about it, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema. Okay, so it's possible that depending on which particular tax increases they were talking about, even though Manchin has said many times he'd like to roll back parts of the TCJA, apparently he has some issues with some of the tax pay-fors that were in play. Tom, let me ask you a question about this whole thing. It's one thing for Senator Manchin to express concern about the spending, the inflationary aspects of the spending, but the backstop to that was always twofold. One is, well, if we pay for it, it shouldn't be inflationary. And by the way, we're going to pay for it by raising taxes. So what are your thoughts on where we are now that there's even reluctance to do some of the pay-fors on the provision because of the impact of inflation? It's really worse than that. The plan that was being discussed with Schumer would have included several hundred billion dollars worth of deficit reduction. So the taxes would have been used not just to offset the spending, but would have been actually used for debt reduction, which is something that Manchin's required from day one. And the net economic effect of that would have been actually to reduce inflation rather than increase inflation. So it's a little hard to understand Manchin's objection, unless it was just an objection designed to slow this down because he really doesn't want to do the bill for whatever reasons. And this was just the latest change in view because last year he expressed support for the international provisions and for, as he said, reversing some of the tax cuts that took place with the TCJA. So it's it's sort of inconsistent with his prior positions as well. So it, it sounds more like he just wanted to kill the bill and this was just a new reason to do it. Well, it's also possible that events have changed since last year. Of course, as Jen mentioned, the inflation numbers keep getting more alarming. And while what you say, Tom, may be sound economic policy, perhaps economists can differ on these points. And maybe this is a question of his instincts of what the people of West Virginia want. So hard to know, but he does seem to have changed his position in a couple of ways. All right, Jen, one last question on this. So you said that we think tax is out. It's the healthcare stuff. What would it take for any major tax provisions to get back into this bill here at the 11th hour? I'm not 100% sure because tax always has a way of making it back into the conversation, especially when folks want to pay for items and especially 
when they're trying to hash out a deal, there are going to be senators that are going to have asks beyond that small handful of provisions. So I wouldn't rule tax completely out. Certainly not yet. The things that could potentially make it in, I would think the individual surtax is one that rings a bell. It impacts high income individuals. That's something that has not met with a whole lot of pushback on the Hill. I think that one for sure, if it were to come into play, that's one of the provisions. The other one is that stock buyback excise tax. That's another one where you haven't heard a whole lot of members rumbling about it, haven't heard that there's a whole lot of traffic on the Hill with respect to lobbying against it. So that's another one that could potentially be low-hanging fruit for inclusion in a last-minute whipped-up tax package. So we never rule out tax until it's over, and it's not over yet. And so it's worth keeping an eye on, as you say, Jen. The bill could get bigger if it gets bigger and they insist on paying for it. Well, then, of course, they're going to have to find revenue somewhere. And they've already got the health care pay for. seems like the next place it would go is to go look in the tax code somewhere. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. All right, so let's put reconciliation aside for a moment. Tom, there's this other major bill happening simultaneously just to make the next week or two as crazy as possible. And this is what we've been calling, we did an episode or more on this, the China Competition Bill. It's had various names, Yusika and Competes and et cetera. I think the current version they're working from is CHIPS. So will you tell us where do things stand on that legislation? And is that something that's in play here in the next two weeks? Well, it's definitely in play, and it's now CHIPS Plus because it's grown from the 52 to $54 billion USICA bill that the Senate passed way back when and was designed to advance semiconductor production in the U.S. To that, they've added about $24 billion for an investment tax credit. This would be for new investment in semiconductor production. And then to that, they've added a whole raft of programs designed to advance R&D and STEM training in the U.S. They haven't appropriated any money for any of those programs, but the total cost of this bill, if they were to fully fund it, would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $250 billion. That doesn't seem to have caused any concern quite yet, but one has to wonder if somebody really is concerned about inflation starting a whole raft of new programs that would cost something like a quarter of a trillion dollars without any offsets, because there are no offsets in this bill as it it now stands. And it seems to be moving ahead pretty quickly. It needs 60 votes in the Senate. There was a procedural vote last week on something called a motion to proceed that got 64 votes. And the idea was that they were supposed to vote on cloture today in the Senate, vote for it, the bill itself on Wednesday, in time for the House to vote before it adjourns on Friday, before it leaves. So it remains to be seen whether all that can get done, especially since there are at least a couple of supporters of this from last week who are out with COVID, Senators Manchin and Murkowski. We don't know if there are any others and whether any other hitches will come up, but this is one that could actually proceed pretty quickly. A really interesting situation how it went from the Senate's bill was smaller and they were critical of the House bill because they felt that the House bill was too big. And now the Senate bill has grown and grown and grown. As you say, Tom, now they haven't fully chosen how they would spend the full $250 billion, but it certainly would be authorized, which makes this a pretty big bill. And in fact, almost as big is this healthcare reconciliation bill that we're talking about that all there's so much angst about. Jen, why do you think we're having so much angst about paying for the reconciliation bill, but nobody seems to be that bothered by not paying for 
the chips bill? Is it simply because the latter is bipartisan and the former is not? What is it? Funny how that works, right? It's definitely because it's bipartisan. There is a bipartisan agreement on how to spend the revenue. And and usually when you have these bipartisan agreements, no one's really looking at the bottom line. Maybe, but so far has not been the case. So I think that's why there's comfort level. Everyone has their hand in the pot. (laughs) Right. Which, you know, is a little bit of an allusion to what we're going to get in December when they all get together in a year and bill. That's the topic of a future episode. But it's going to be that same bipartisan dynamic where I think you're going to see a lot of money go out the door. All right. So, Jen, staying with you for a moment, let's just talk about the calendar again. Today's July 25th. Play out the next two weeks. What has to happen for them and what do they have to do to get things done? And what's the real deadline here? For a reconciliation bill, the real deadline, the hard deadline is September 30th at midnight, which we know that's when the reconciliation instruction that allows the process of reconciliation to go through the Senate expires. It's the end of the fiscal year for the government. However, there is not a whole lot of time left on the calendar. I have the calendar up right now. As a reminder, today, it is July 25th. Now, we have one week left where the House is going to be in session. They're going to recess for August. And there's that first week in August where the Senate is in and the House is not in. That's five days. So not a whole lot of calendar time before August recess. So arguably, kind of mapping this out, And remember, it's chips and dip now. That's the phrase for that China competition bill, domestic innovation projects. The acronym makes everyone hungry. But they would have to move that by the end of this week. It would have to clear the Senate. I think they're working towards that. If they wanted to do reconciliation by August recess, which is looking less and less likely, they would have to be doing that. And also hammering out a deal in the Senate, reconciliation by the end of this week, clearing any tax pieces through the parliamentarian by the 1st or 2nd of August, that's next week, and have to move at lightning speed. I think it would require for Leader Schumer to keep the Senate in and for Speaker Pelosi to potentially call members back to vote for a reconciliation package to negotiate and vote for one if they wanted to get something done before August recess. That's looking a lot less likely as the days go on. So it's not looking good for a potential reconciliation bill that includes tax, at least, before the August recess. Not a whole lot of time left on the calendar. And then when they come back, both chambers will be in on September 13th. So that's not a whole lot of time before they have to turn to funding the government. Remember, the end of the fiscal year is the 30th. They're really going to have to negotiate to fund the government. No one's going to be interested in having a government shutdown weeks before an election. So That's going to suck up a lot of the energy on the Hill. Maybe there's an opportunity there to potentially move reconciliation bill, but that's only a two-week period. And that's a holiday week. Rosh Hashanah is that last week of September. Not a whole lot of days left to pass something. We're not telling you what's going to happen, but you can hear that calendar, as Jen just laid it out, what would have to happen for this to be finished before they leave for the August recess. A lot has to fall in line. It's not impossible, but boy, everything's going to have to go right even if they don't include tax, and certainly if they include tax in that reconciliation bill, it's going to be really, really tight. And then when they come back in September, you know, Joe Manchin has said at various points, well, we, you know, we have September. But as you just laid out, Jen, September's kind of booked in funding the government, which is probably going to be some continuing resolution into later in the year, but that still takes time. So 
the calendar is not the friend of getting something done here on tax besides maybe the tax credit that Tom mentioned in the chip and dip bill. So Tom, let me ask you, so we talked about these two things, bills that are in full-blown work process now and in the Senate trying to get this done in the next two weeks. Is there anything else going on in the Senate that could distract them or take their time that they would want to work on? Well, there's a lot of other stuff pending. I'm not sure there's anything that absolutely has to be done before the August recess, but the House has passed, as you mentioned, John, earlier, a same-sex marriage bill in response to the Roe v. Wade decision. The House is also working on a contraception bill, same lines. There's also the move to add Finland and Sweden to NATO, which requires congressional approval. The House is working on appropriations. They're working on a September 30 deadline, which they're not going to make, but need to move ahead with that. There's an agreement on something called the Electoral Count Act, which is designed to address some of the issues that the January 6th problem pointed out. And then there are just dozens of judicial nominations that are pending or assume will be pending that they're trying to work on. So enough to have them put their usual talk in the Senate about keeping the Senate in longer in August, which it never does. It's usually more of a threat to get things done. But a lot there, not anything, though, that necessarily they have to get done before the August recess. But if they don't, it's going to jam up further the fall calendar. Yeah, I mean, each of the things you mentioned, Tom, will all have supporters jumping up and down saying, we got to get this done now. Talking to Majority Leader Schumer, I saw that there were climate protesters in his office today demanding action on climate change and not to continue to negotiate with Manchin. I mean, this is going to be the real challenge for Majority Leader Schumer, just to does he really leave these other priorities behind to do what you can do while you can do it? Or does he try and process them as well, knowing that it's kind of a zero-sum game at this point? If you process something else, you're probably knocking off one of the other things we talked about. So it's a real challenge. Here's my last question in closing, and I'll ask it to you, Tom, but Jen, happy to take your thoughts too. By the way, I'm not ready to write the epitaph. (laughs) This Congress, it is not over. They have work yet to do. They have the lame duck session I alluded to. It's going to be important. But just where we are today, if you look at the things this Congress has accomplished, okay, and it's easy to forget them, but there are quite a few. We had the big reconciliation bill at the beginning of the session, ARPA. We had that done. We had the large bipartisan infrastructure bill with major funding for infrastructure spending. We had the enhanced gun control legislation that was done. We're now looking at the possibility of this major supply chain bill, the the CHIPS bill getting done. We may have, as you talked about, Tom, this bill codifying protections for same-sex marriage, other things that you talked about, all potentially getting done. And we still have reconciliation at play, a major health care bill, which would do a couple of things that many Democrats have wanted for a very long time. Do you think if they get this skinny down reconciliation bill, just centered around those health care provisions, that people look at this Congress and say it was a success? Or do you think they'll still feel a little disappointed when they look at that provision, maybe not looking so much at the whole big picture of the things I rattled off? Well, there's an election coming in November, as you know. So they will clearly be saying, you know, they've had major victories and tout everything they've done. That said, there's going to be a lot of disappointment that they didn't do anything about climate change, which a number of them called an existential issue. They haven't extended things like the child tax credit, the refundable credit, and the other social safety net provisions that they had in the BBBA. And they haven't done anything to further the OECD deal on a global minimum tax, which Treasury thinks is extremely important. So while they may say 
great victories, there's clearly going to be some disappointment. Well, Jen, let me ask you, because I want to go back to 2017. You were working in the Senate and Republicans ran on and set as their major agenda item repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act, much like Democrats for years have talked about repealing and replacing the TCJA in its own way. Of course, back then, Republicans failed to do that. So at the end of that Congress, there was this feeling of, well, we didn't really accomplish what we wanted to. Or do you think the accomplishment of the TCJA was enough for people to feel like, at least on the Republican side of the aisle, that they had accomplished enough to feel good about the progress of that Congress? I think that the feeling for sure was that there had been a big accomplishment, right? It was the biggest tax bill, the biggest piece of tax reform since the 86 Act. Members were really happy. And, you know, it's funny because when Tom mentioned, you know, all of those bills that passed last year, sequencing makes a difference here. Republicans failed in their first try and then succeeded towards the end of 2017. Here, you had a reconciliation bill, ARPA, that moved quickly last year. And since then, the focus was such an easy victory. Expectation setting was a lot harder with respect to Build Back Better Act because there came right on the heels of this big victory. And I think the sequencing really makes a difference with respect to perception heading into the midterms. I think that's right, right? That so much of this is the way it is perceived. And if, you know, someday we may go back on paper and look back at the accomplishments of this Congress and say it was pretty impactful. But I think in the short term, at least, there will be some disappointment that if, and this is an if, the reconciliation bill is not what many had hoped it would be. But time will tell, and we will have to see what happens in the next couple of weeks or over the rest of the year. All right. Well, Jen, Tom, thank you very much. That's all we have time for today. In closing, I'm going to resist the temptation to think deep thoughts on how we got to where we are on the reconciliation bill. Let's see how things go over the next two weeks before we do that. Let's do something different. I feel like we spread a lot of gloom and doom on this episode today. Well, I'm here to say that maybe it's not all bad news for Democratic tax priorities. Let me highlight a win, a win that I think is flying under the radar. In the CHIPS bill we discussed today, Tom said there was a significant tax provision. It's an investment tax credit for semiconductor manufacturing facilities in the U.S. Well, that's a nice little bipartisan consensus on tax policy, you say. But what if you're not a semiconductor manufacturer? Then so what? Well, here's the thing. And this, in my opinion, is a big thing. That investment tax credit, supported by both the Democratic chair of the Senate Finance Committee and the Republican ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee, that credit is refundable. In other words, taxpayers who are eligible for the credit can elect to take a payment from the government in lieu of the tax credit. This is a big deal for several reasons, and here they are. First, the renewables industry, a key Democratic Party ally, has long asked for refundability. Why? Well, because renewables projects are generally not tax profitable, at least not in the first decade or so. So tax credits have diminished utility and require complex financing structures to monetize. Not that long ago, the answer to refundability, even on the Democratic side of the aisle in Congress, was no. Refundability is reserved for individual tax credits for low-income individuals, not for corporations. But that stance has been slowly eroding over the last decade or so. Build Back Better itself would have made nearly all the energy credits refundable. 
something Republicans generally opposed. Ah, but you see, now we have a live scenario where Democrats have convinced many Republicans to support refundability. And if your reaction to that is, yeah, but it's just this little corner of the tax code, well, that's not really how these things work. It may take some time, but refundability, it's going to spread. It will spread to the energy credits and probably beyond, maybe to all general business credits. Are you ready for your R&D tax credit to be refundable? If you like that, just look back to this moment as the potential catalyst. Now, secondly, this is a win at another level. I won't go into the whole pillar two domestic top-up tax morass. I can highly recommend Gary Scanlon's excellent Inside International Tax podcast to go into those details. But refundable tax credits, it's going to be an important feature of our tax system if we're going to protect our domestic tax incentives from the reaches of pillar two enactment in other countries, when and if that happens. So a modest $24 billion semiconductor investment tax credit becoming refundable might be so much more than it appears. Do I know this for sure? Of course not. You know what I'm going to say. Say it with me. It's not yet knowable. But if refundability is the future of the tax system, we might look back at this July. And instead of saying, gee, this wasn't all we thought it could be, we might say instead, this was the moment, the moment that forever put our tax system on a different trajectory. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and your suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.